Welcome to my basement, everybody. Hey, Vic. So it looks like you've been vacuuming down here. The basement is looking good today. You got a little uh, little photo shoot down here or something going on? No, some, I, are, I, I just... Are you I, selling? I just sprayed some... selling the house? I sprayed some foot powder on there, and it just sort of... Oh, my God. Like, as it dissolved, can, it can sort of cleans... Can please never say the two words, foot and powder, <laughs> next to each other? Imagine working ever. at a foot powder company. Oh. What would that job be like? How would you test out your products to make sure that... Uh, Okay. We've had Did some, we, yeah. <laughs> right out of the gate. We the talking about feet. I didn't know you were one of these feet people. Hey, could be butt powder. That's right. Could be butt powder. I guess so, that's what the foot powder people say. So could, here we could are. Be butt powder. We are entering the summertime, and the weather is starting to get warm. And I know that you are thinking about going to the beach and yeah. enjoying yourself, yeah. or you might be thinking about staying indoors and playing The Last of Us yes. on your PlayStation Three, which could be the last PlayStation Three game that a lot of people play. <laughs> I know it does feel like the big wind down is coming. You know, my question about this game is, what the fuck are they going to do when they have the PlayStation Four? out there and people can't play this awesome game on that machine well i got a lot, a lot of other things I'm no that's about. a that's a very important question well, you know i think what? we should take that I'll right you, to the I'll vatican tell you right something. now i like okay. the, i like there's lots of things that i like about this game we're not going to review it or maybe we will later in the show we'll see what happens but uh the last of us feels like the last of something yeah like it feels like the end of something and we're right on the cusp of e3 and i think this is the perfect time to release this thing it feels like we're about to begin a new era and we're about to leave an old era behind so perfect perfectly done what, and what well is, played sir absolutely and what's kind of cool about us playing the last of us as we go to e3 is we're finishing one of the better titles from this generation for sure as we're about to go and explore the new generation. And I don't know if that's ever really happened before, just before oh, yeah. E3. Oh, yeah. We've, I mean, I think we've had... I mean, I think a lot of times when these consoles... Like the PlayStation 2 I don't went know out if, with a bang, man. Like, there were oh, so was, many No, there were great games, titles. but I don't know if it was right before E3. I don't know. I think the timing is unbelievable this time. I think we're seeing what can be achieved so we have that to measure up against this new software. And we're walking around the floor and all these PS4s and Xbox Ones are set up and we're looking at those visuals Look and those characters. how excited you are. I can't wait. All these PS4s and Xbox well, Ones all This is all what set we're going to be doing, all right? So we're going to look at these screens and we're going to be thinking, well, are they better than, than The Last of Us? Oof. Are the graphics that much better? Are Game's things pretty good? Are things that much more interesting Probably now? Really with, better than with The Last of Us. Better. Yeah, that's exactly... That's what I'm going to sound like. <laughs> it's like FIFA. It looks a lot like my old FIFA. Yeah, there's no, la- there's no Last of Us in FIFA. Yeah. What's going on? Well, we'll get our answers next week. Yeah. Once we touch down, we're both heading to the airport very soon after we wrapped today's show. Oh, my God. Hey, Vic, I think I hear somebody knocking at the door. Let me get that. Oh, I love visitors. Who do we have? Holy shit, it's Adam Sessler. What? Adam Sessler. Why, hello, guys. Hello. How you doing? Thanks for coming by the basement, man. Well, you know, I, I, I find myself in Vancouver now and then. I thought, oh, that's right. Vic has a basement here. I do. And I wanted to see what it's like. And I, for, for a guy that has greedy productions, I, I was expecting more avarice. Uh, it, no, no, it's just hustlers, man. Hustlers yeah. and action figures. Yeah. Apparently so. Well, that, that's good. I, I never, I never expected you to grow up much. So, no, no. congratulations. What are you doing in Vancouver? Visiting the husks of old closed developers? 
Oh, well, you know. Too oh. soon. Oh, come on, guys. Too <laughs> soon. We're having fun here. It's jokes, guys. <laughs> yeah. Jokes. You're visiting Vancouver the week before E3 and exactly. uh, prepping for the madness by having, uh, I guess, some solace and some peace and quiet in Vancouver because there isn't as much development up here as there used to be. That's for sure. No, no. And it, it, it really is a shame. I mean, at one point, it was rivaling Montreal in terms of just how many devs there were how have you been up to vancouver a number of times in the past or is, is it a rare you know occurrence? what you would you would think it would happen a lot more frequently yeah. um I, I i do find myself in montreal more if i'm if i'm heading in you know there, there was at one point when bioware was kind of like putting games out every 10 minutes yeah and i'd be i would be seeing what edmonton was like in november which is incredibly crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's oh like uh, visiting Hoth in a way. It, it, it's ridiculous. You can cut glass with my nipples, and I was wearing three sweaters. <laughs> Listen, I'm Canadian, and it's cold, too cold for me, man. I cry like yeah. a, a little girl when I go to cold towns like uh, Toronto <laughs> or Edmonton. It's just too much. Vancouver Adam, is a, it's just soggy. That's Adam, all we got. Adam, do what do you, th- what do you make? I'm a fellow American, so you know, we can bond over that. But what do you make of Canada? Um. It's I, I have no issue with it. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> You're not against yeah, it's, it's, it. Okay. They're supposed to take a pot shot at Canada. And I'm like, well, I mean, they have health care. That's a that's a plus. Uh, yep. it, it tends to be cleaner. That's a plus. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your your mayor of Toronto is fascinating. Oh, he's a beautiful man. Yeah, I don't know what's going yeah. on out yeah. there, man. I mean, that that guy is just he, he's a news story every five minutes. I, I mean, I've almost tweeted a couple of things to people that, and, and friends out there that I, I have in Toronto. And I, I have to kind of rein myself in because it's no fun to kind of gloat over people it's not like we have you know all of the politicians that have that populate vancouver or bc are so much better but uh, i don't think any of them are doing crack right now to my knowledge or, or, or not actual crack. They, they could be making other decisions that would seem crack-infused. There are yeah. lots of vices out there beyond yeah. crack. <laughs> that is just one. Lots of ways you could go, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, Canada, the most interesting in, it, you know, those cultural distinctions from the U.S., you have to kind of be there for a bit and, and know. It's, it's, it's like the devil's in the details. For sure. Because oh, yeah. kind of like the big picture you're going through, you're in a taxi or something. You're like, oh, yeah, this is just more cities. But <laughs> I don't <laughs> so. even notice anymore because I've been here for a little over four years now. One thing, uh, one distinction that still stands out for me, when you ride the city bus, and I do ride the city bus, when people are exiting, they thank the driver. They all stop and they thank him personally. Wow. Thank you for driving us here. Though They don't go to the, they just shout, thank just, you. Thank you. Yeah. That's so I mean, nice. That's, that's the right way to do it. That's a In little much. You don't say thanks. You probably only say thanks because thanks, I'm alive. Um, I don't know about the other guy, but it's yeah, wow. I mean, that's that's really polite. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 polite up here. We have a little more room than America does. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's parts of the U.S. I was I was out in Texas filming a movie for a bit, and I noticed how my behavior changed during my time there. Mm-hmm. And I was holding doors open for people, and the minute I got back to California, it just all evaporated <laughs> out the window. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, come on, California is a very liberal, very you know people conscious. Oh, there's lots state. of assholes there. Yeah, yeah but, but that, yeah, this idea that liberalism and politeness go hand in hand, it's 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 not. It's more that you know you you. It, it, 
Talk to Jerry Brown, yeah. <laughs> the governor of California. Yeah. Politeness and his values don't seem to coincide whatsoever. Well, you're back in San Francisco. You spent a lot of your uh, your your uh, you know life in the city, and then you moved to uh, L.A. to be a part of the G4 uh, experience. Can we call <laughs> it? A, can we call it G4 experience? <laughs> Well, well, yeah, World War One was an experience. <laughs> but now, now you're back in San Francisco, and now that you've had uh, uh, you know this unique perspective, what are your thoughts on on uh, these life transitions that you've had to go through? Um, it, it's it's interesting. The, the the most interesting part about being back in San Francisco because I grew up here and then spent my twenties here right after college. Um, you know, those kind of fun, youthful 20s in the late 1990s with the tech industry boom. Right. And ever so often, I'll see remnants, like, you know, a bar or something like that in San Francisco of that time. And I forget that I'm significantly older. Yeah. And if I was to go into those places, I would be that creepy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and those are real sort of wake-up moments now. <laughs> and that's a real but, thing I mean, for I people. Like, you know, we have to avoid being the creepy guy at our age. I know. Yeah, and I was like, hold on, I can't go to a club anymore. I'm the creepy guy. <laughs> and the, I, I really do like being back in San Francisco because you know, I, I, I hold no animus to Los Angeles. But when you do entertainment industry stuff, and let's be fair, G4, expanded cable, that's kind of on the lower end of the entertainment industry. Um, it starts to mess with your head. Yeah. And you don't notice that it's doing that. And it was only took about a month or two after being back here that such absurd things like, how close is my parking space to the door? <laughs> that you start to realize those things that became normal were absolutely preposterous. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of a nice recalibration of a value system. You know, being back up here, also, you know, doing more internet stuff where it's like the the quality of the product is so much more important than all the BS that surrounds it. You know, what, 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 you know I mean, you still do TV stuff, Vic, but, you know, you've always had that kind of running gun Yep. mentality you know with, with that that isn't replete with all these indulgences that don't really help anything well and i don't think they improve the uh the content that you deliver out into yep. the world and i never have and we've always put our money you know not in first class airfares and and expensive hotels but into the uh the trips and the the amount of time we could spend on the road and and the amount of content that we could put on uh, on tv you know and the uh and just building better shows and i yeah i saw a lot of that stuff too and i ha i continue to see a lot of that stuff and it, it always boggles my mind it's also the antithesis to uh how people treat each other in the video game industry where it is all about uh usually uh, about teamwork and uh, collaboration mm -hmm. and open communication and um there isn't that sense of entitlement and that sense of taking credit as much, I'm sure it exists at a lot of a lot of um, studios that are struggling or have struggled. Uh, but generally, if you know good games come out, uh, they're usually really solid teams uh, that have figured out how to work together and respect each other. And, and I feel like if you're creating anything, that should be one of the first things that you deal with is just yeah. you know having a group of people really care about each other. And you, it, you, you can't have like the, the, the humans that are working on it can't be regarded as disposable. Totally. And that's that's, that's what like breaks my heart about all these closures, man, because I know yeah. that, you know, we're going to miss out on cool games for sure. But what's more important is these teams that people have spent years to put together. 
they're disappearing and they're having to kind of scramble and partner up or move across country or whatever to kind of try to reignite that same kind of spark that that drove these people to start working together. And you look yeah. at a, a company like Naughty Dog, and I, I caught some of your um, uh, Last of Us review. We can talk about that in a second. But you look at a company like Naughty Dog, that's a company with a very low turnover rate. They've been given a lot of um, you know great support all the way along from Sony. Uh, but that's a company that has just matured and evolved and been able to take some pretty dramatic technical risks and creative risks. And, and The Last of Us kind of symbolizes where you can go. You can draw a line from, you know, Crash Bandicoot to The Last of Us and, and say, well, this is, this is what happens when you, you know, endeavor to, to care about a group of people that, that care about their medium. No, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think one of the best stories about Uncharted 2 is, you know, that incredible train sequence. That thing is the most definitive aspect of that game about how remarkable it was, both technically and just sort of as, in the experience. Yep. That was the first thing they started working on and the last thing they finished. Right. And I can only imagine the level of anxiety of sort of knowing that you had this centerpiece and there was still the uncertainty if it would be completed to the point where it could be included in the game. Yeah. And you have to have a coherent, strong team and wonderful leadership. Yep. to be able to see something like that through. And I think it's, it's, it's a rarity, and it's nice to see it still preserved over there. Yeah, I mean, it breaks my heart thinking about Pandemic, you know? Like, that's, yeah. that's the one studio that I keep coming back to just because they took all of these really cool creative risks, and now EA has got the rights to make Star Wars games, and they had the studio that made some of the best Star Wars best games. Star Wars games. <laughs> and they're gone, you know? It's just, yeah. it's heartbreaking, man. It's heartbreaking. No, it so let's uh, let's talk about The Last of Us. I mean, the reviews are out there. Your review is out there. You gave it a a, a five out of five. And yep. uh, what, what do you think of this game? It's it's, it's absolute. I mean, it's incredible. It's one of the few games where I'm like, I don't know if I can recommend it to everyone mm-hmm. because the material is pretty rough. And I don't fault someone for going like, hey, this might be a little bit too much for me to take in. I mean, it is as violent as a game as I've ever seen. But having said that. I don't think I've ever seen violence so justified by the context of the game. Right. That 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 air of desperation that Joel, you know, his own I like I, I would say his pathological desire to survive, which seems kind of, you know, contrary to how miserable the world is. Yeah. That just leads him into these these horrible violent acts. I think that as as the player, I found it thrilling in the moment because I got through something tough. And then that moment of revulsion about how it really did play out. Well, he finds another reason to live. You know, I don't don't think, and this is what's so wonderful about this game, is that it it makes you contemplate who these characters are as real human beings. And you know that it's a love story. It's it's another kind of, you know, father-daughter type of relationship. And he is a totally different person at the beginning of the game than he is at the end of the game. And just to see that maturity represented, man. the, the more traditional, I mean, like the Hollywood treatment of it. Yeah, I think that you would say, "Oh, he's a much better person," and that's not the easiest thing to no. actually say. No, and he has changed, and everyone has changed at the end of the game. But there's some very interesting messages about what it means to survive and what you sacrifice in the name of survival. And I think that one could even argue this character of Joel: what is survival to him? I mean, it's, it's like I said, it almost becomes this weird pathology. And there's this young girl that, that, that he brings along with it. I mean, I've, I've never mulled over a game like I did this one. 
I know. It's it's pretty remarkable. Scott and I have yet to shoot our review, and we usually don't like to talk too much about the, this stuff before we go. But, uh, Scott, pipe in, man. Just, just feed us a couple of your observations on uh, this. Well, I agree with Adam uh, wholeheartedly that it's it's certainly it's, it's not a game for everyone, and, and it certainly doesn't have the mass appeal that the Uncharted series has. I mean, they're not going to promote it, you know, as you know, as if we're tricking our girlfriends into watching action movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they're, you know, I was surprised by how moved I was by it because I'm I'm a little I'm a little down on everything in the industry ever since that bungee event, Adam, that you and I attended. Oh, yeah, I was down on things before that, but that, that was that was one of the final nails in the coffin uh, for me. And uh, and and there are lots of moments in the game when I felt like you know I would I would grab somebody around the neck and I would smash his face and I would think that guy had that coming, you know. Yeah. He, he I, I just got to a part of the game where. I sort of wander into a booby trap, and then I sort of get my way out of it. And uh, and there are lots of moments in the game where I felt that way. On the on the downside, I feel like there are lots of moments when I walk into a room filled with soldiers or bad guys, and I just think I've done this before. Yeah, I did this in Arkham Asylum, and I did it better in Arkham Asylum. And and some, you know, I mean, they're u- obviously using the, un- the Uncharted engine here again, and there, there's some limitations there, and a, a little bit of a mushiness to the whole thing. But overall, I was I was surprised by how moved I was. So, it, it's I mean, it's amazing how much risk they take in this game, where it's just stillness. There isn't a big, yeah. you know, uh, soundtrack. I mean, there is beautiful music in the game, but there are definitely moments where that totally drops away. And not only does the audio kind of just get quiet, but your motions and what you do in the game is very quiet. You're just walking and you're exploring and you're looking around. And like unbelievable amounts of time are spent in this game, where you're, you could say you're not doing anything, but you're really just you being really enveloped are. by it, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the the use of negative space in this game is something. I mean, once again, it's it's it's, it's both ambition and restraint yeah. that seem to be working perfectly together in this game. I, I I think the other thing that why the narrative is so affecting, and they really took advantage of it here is. It's a what I would say a fifteen to seventeen hour game, yeah. And you know, we we have a lot of single player games that can almost get that long, but they feel like a series of events totally. that then culminate at the end. Whereas here, they understood to take advantage of it, which is so much better than a two hour movie. You can slowly draw out the character, and you can have like these very subtle moments, like what it means for him to look at his watch. Yeah, and you know those they they someone finally understood the benefits of the video game narrative. Which I think you know people have experimented with, but never fully realized, and that's why you get that wonderful emotional impact from it. And you know that's that's one of the reasons why I really disliked Uncharted Three was it felt like a series of loosely connected set pieces. Yeah. And and this game doesn't. This game has more of an organic feel. It just constantly keeps sort of moving in directions that feel natural, and, and that's that's such a weird thing for for games to do still, you know, even after yeah. 50 years. Yeah, and Uncharted was kind of, it teased us with this next level maturity, you know, the, the actual relationship that uh, uh, Drake was going to have with Elena and, and uh, with Sully and so it, 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 there There's undercurrents of, of Naughty Dog wanting to go even deeper and further with it, but then it's kind of constrained by its game-isms, which are still fun, yeah. but... You know, it's almost like we wanted Naughty Dog to go that extra creative yeah. step. And in some ways, The Last of Us, I think, is a great reaction to that. And it also feels like a, a, kind of a statement in the direction of indie game developers out there as well who 
you know, just by the nature of the amount of time that they have to work on their titles, leave a lot of negative space in their games and let us yeah. kind of just soak up stuff. And I think sometimes The Last of Us felt to me like an like the highest budget indie game ever made. No, I, 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 I think that's a good way of putting it. I still think it's Uncharted 3 existed to help make Last of Us. Like, sure. it was a, you know, they, they have this thing that's going to sell like that. It's, it's like when uh, Steven Spielberg makes Jurassic Park 2 so that we can get, you know, totally. Schindler's List or Munich or something like that. Totally. That, you know, if, if, if this is the way Sony is looking at their studios, that's great. I mean, they, there has to be some commercial successes to, to underwrite things. But if that can then uh, bring forth these far more, these smaller, more experimental and probably a, a narrower appeal games, I mean, that's just great stuff. Well, this really leads us into talking about next week, you know, and I think this, this, this is a great jumping off point. Um, I've always been a fan of the way that Sony, you know, invests in their games and publishes the types of games. I mean, if you look at the uh, the variety of titles that that uh, they risk on, it's very impressive, you know. And they don't always hit it out of the park. And even when they try to kind of scoop up all of their characters and, and put them into one game, like with uh, PlayStation All Stars, it doesn't really hit like you think that it should hit. Because I think, in some ways, there's kind of a shotgun approach to getting all of this material out there. But holy crap, do they spend money on some cool games? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's an it's, impressive it's, thing. It's, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is Shu Yoshimita, who you know, really oversees the games and the development. He is such a, a wonderful person who seems to really care about the creative and understands that there's long-term benefits about investing in riskier projects yes. like Heavy Rain, yes. like the Team Eco stuff. They're never going to bring in the money, but they've helped define the system and what Sony's willing to do. And that has, you know, that has intangible value that, like, yeah, it's not dollars at the bank, but it, I think it really assists them in the long run. Yeah. Well, it's also a kind of a Nintendo kind of viewpoint on this stuff as well. I mean, Nintendo falls on its, rests on its laurels quite a bit and remakes a lot of its own titles, but they, they make games and they put them out in the world and they make every game they, they publish an event, which I, yeah. I wish yeah. that more companies would do. Uh, and I think Sony tries to do that mostly just by the, the types of games that they, they create. I think that you know, they're very good at drawing attention to themselves for, for being these risk takers. So, but what do you think is going to happen next year or, or next week? I, I feel like um, there's a lot of positive... Uh, gamer buzz swirling around PlayStation 4 and its its acceptance of uh, indie game developers. A lot of skepticism in the direction of Xbox One. People are kind of shrugging their shoulders and sort of giving up on Nintendo. How, how are you feeling right now? Well, I'm with the shrugging of the shoulders on Nintendo. I mean, I, I would love to think that they're going to do something to surprise us, but I think if they were going to do that, they would have had a press conference. Right. Um, I'm wondering if they're just going to do the 3DS route and two, three years in, Finally, it starts to like make a case for itself. I think with Sony and, and, and Microsoft, I, I think that's definitely how people are looking at it. I think people are a little bit too favorable to Sony because they're not Microsoft. And if you go back to what they announced in February, there were some great things there, but it, was, it wasn't really a nailed down idea of what the system is going to do. No. I think Microsoft made horrible mistakes up in Redmond. Um, you know, Talk, you know, with the, with the way they presented it, I don't know if the system itself was inherently flawed, but they did not. They didn't understand what audience they were talking to. Yeah. They had the attention of the hardcore, and they gave them exactly what they didn't want to see. So I think it, I think Microsoft is going to come out looking better. I think there's no way they could come out looking. <laughs> better. Um, the, the only thing is, if they do not take on the always online 
and um, the, uh, uh, the the used game issue head on, they are still going to be dogged by that issue, and that, that that's something they have to be taken seriously. Because right. if, if, if they just put a, try to put a smile on it and come up with some weird phrase that doesn't give clarity, I think everything else, because I do expect them to show a ridiculous number of games, all of that is just going to be dwarfed by the uncertainty of, of, of what's going on with used games and always online. I, I, I think with Sony, everyone's expecting them to show the games, and I'm really hoping they are going to show the games they're going to show all of, you know, the, the, exactly what we were describing. I worry sometimes that there are so many competing divisions inside of Sony that they're going to dilute their message. That like, right now, they're, they're held in such favor because they're seen as the, one, as, the, as, as the console that favors the gamers. But they do have the Gaikai, they do have the Vita, they have all these ancillary things that can help make that message looser and looser. And I don't know if they have the discipline or that they really understand the landscape right now to get kind of pinpoint specific on it. Um, I, at the same time, if they, if they whip out something like Last Guardian, that's going to send the internet into such a tizzy. I mean, that would be kind of their coup de grace that I don't know could be matched necessarily by Microsoft. Like, they have Halo and all that stuff, but no one's, I think, going to be surprised by the introduction of, of, of a game like that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, uh, it's like the battle of the mainstream versus the battle of the fans, you know? It's, yeah. it's, yep. it's a weird thing. And I, I feel, and I think you do too, and I know Scott does as well, anybody that's in media and gets this stuff, recognizes the value of this industry is bigger than where it's currently kind of placed in a lot of people's consciousness. And it feels like a little bit of a towel throwing in scenario when we're just, you know, playing it safe, showing football footage or showing call of duty footage um, and, and sort of cutting people's appreciation of what this medium can be uh, a little bit short, you know? And, and I, I think, that's kind of what we all that have been playing games and talking about video games and trying to convince our girlfriends and wives and <laughs> you know to play these things and care about these things. That's what we want to hear from our, the people that are running our industry is that no, this is a massive business. There's still you know we're just at the beginning stages of it and and we need to be excited about these really cool pieces of media. You know this really cool entertainment and, and I, I think The Last of Us is an excellent argument for that. You know I think it's yeah. as just as uh, uh, profound a piece of art as The Walking Dead is, you know, and I, I, I think I'll probably be more affected by playing that game than World War Z, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, I mean, I, I would put that up there with, you know, some French movies I've seen that just deal with sort of, you know, that sense of alienation. I mean, it, it was that kind of remarkable thing. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and you're right. If there can be some kind of symbol, be it a game or otherwise, from Microsoft and Sony, that they see where this can go, and that you know we're going to have our Call of Duties and Fifas. Yep. And if they didn't have it, that would be the problem. Yeah. But they also know that they have to move forward. This cannot be just a craven money grab where they're just trying to pander and race to the bottom yep. with whatever is going to get a certain segment of the, of the fanboys to 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 squeal about it. I mean, I think that's what turned everyone off at the Xbox One presentation. Yeah. And I mean, I think this would be fascinating because. I know there are elements of Microsoft that saw what happened, but is Microsoft nimble enough to be able to address them in the rather short period of time between that presentation and what we're going to get next week? Well, I think they, I think they're spending on some some big titles. You know, I think what yes, they, they did, are. yeah, I think what happened with um, when Matrix kind of took over the division, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, cutting of content, a lot of teams, um, you know, sort of 
being laid off and a, a re, restructuring, repositioning, a huge investment in Connect. And it was almost like an inhale. And now they've made a lot of money on Connect. And I think what they're doing is they're they're obviously reinvesting in Connect, but they're also investing in some new IP and some new ideas. Uh, and it's it's Microsoft sort of exhaling now and saying, okay, this is this is what our bank can be can spend on and we can compete you know game on game with sony and, and nintendo you know what they drove a lot of people away with their connect too because they duped them into sort of, buying yeah, it. yeah and sort of the wii no not really i think the wii delivered mostly on its promise far more than connect ever did and no I think it did all, all those people that you alienated they're not going to come back and buy the new xbox one you well, know they're, they're, they're done yeah, i don't think they're gonna buy the xbox one for connect and i i, I think microsoft is kind of smart in this regard. They're not using Connect as the selling point. Yeah. They're going to try to use the universal quality of the Xbox One. Mm. The thing is, if they downplay that game stuff too much, I mean, who buys consoles when they first come out? It's, it's, it's hardcore it's gamers. gamers. They're the yeah. early adopters. Yeah. We're going to pay top dollar for the console. And so that's the balancing act. I just can't tell if, if, if they really have a firm un, un understanding of that. Well, they because led with I the price is right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> uh, it's, if, if it's 200 bucks with a subscription to Xbox Live, they, look, they're in the running. This is what's so crazy about this business, man. It's been, we've spent 30 years or more educating people to care about video games. And then these right turns and, and quick shifts to kind of come up with new control schemes that are kind of not finished or, you know, content deals that seem so sort of heavily favored on the part of the license licensor like like an nfl deal it, it just seems counterproductive it seems like there's just like people don't want to follow through on all of this stuff you know we've we've built millions of fans around the world this, these the, this industry and these properties matter to lots and lots of people i i don't think that the business is done telling that story you know, but it almost yeah. it almost shoots itself in the foot at almost every chance it can get. Like, look at those online passes, which EA just suddenly says we don't need those things anymore because we asked consumers and they didn't like them. They didn't like them from the beginning. You know, they're pretty yeah. vocal <laughs> about those. It was, a, it was a pretty. Yeah, I mean, like, as, as far as pivots go from EA, I was like, oh, please, <laughs> something. Something is in a new console that renders them obsolete. Let's just let's be honest about that. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah. I, I think the other thing is, and this is like where the day one DLC comes into play, yep. is that it becomes a ref gamers who are attentive start to see that as a reflection of themselves, that that's the attitude that EA regards them, that their kind of base loyalty can be so exploited. Right. And I think that's where so much of the animosity comes from. And the thing is, look, I work for a large corporation that thought they were smarter than the people that consumed their product. Yeah. And there's a lot of contempt. Yeah. And there's, you know, and, and it, 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 it is, I don't think they understand that this is, games are different because of the relationship you start to develop with the customer. And that when you start to look exploitative of that relationship, the reaction is like a scorned lover. Not like someone who, you know, just, you know, is never going to eat at a restaurant again. Yeah. And I mean, Scott's been saying this quite a bit recently, and it's weird to hear him say this because I know this isn't him, uh, but he's been saying the PC is in for a resurgence and the console guys are going to have a real tough time competing against the PC. And certainly Steam has been building up unbelievably great rapport with gamers out there. I mean, Scott, I think you're right. I think the only thing where I don't know if the PC can make that level of inroads is... The games are going to play on the Xbox and the PlayStation 4. You know, there, it's been easier to move them over to the PC because the architects are so similar between the three. Right. But 
it's but to make them look like they're going to look on the PS4 and the Xbox, you're still looking at a far larger financial investment. Mm -hmm. If someone can figure out how to bring down the cost on a high-end NVIDIA card and just throw in eight gigs of RAM, I think you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Because Steam is just, there's just no, it's just, it, it's there. I download it, I play it, I just, I move on. Granted, it's, it, it has an always online component that no one seems to have a problem with. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, well, it, yeah, I, mean, uh, I, I, I think there's something there. Well, it, it, we've never lived in such a, uh, a fractured, you know, universe for this kind of content. It's usually been like two or three channels. What are you and, talking and about? It. Genesis versus Nintendo? No, two or three. You know, but, but now it's ridiculous. Now you can go. I mean, we haven't even started talking about the threat of the iPad and the and iPhone and Android and Ouya. Not that Ouya is going to be a massive threat. What do you think about all of these other alternative ways to play? I think mobile is complementary. I don't see it as fully competitive. I think um, really where mobile is more threatening, I think, is to Nintendo and I guess Sony in their handheld division. Yeah. Because it serves, there's a very young demographic that may not have access to a television at all times and definitely not a gaming console, but they'll have a device, something like that. And again, that market can build. But I'm, there's only there's rare instances where you're seeing similar or redundant content between the mobile device and and the console. They're two different types of relationships. And there's a lot of people out there that you know think that somehow you can conflate the two. And I think this is where the Ouya is just fundamentally flawed. I have no problem with Android games. Why do I want to play them on my television? It's, it's just it, it's it's it's. Some, it's something I've tried to explain to people why I don't have an issue going to the internet from television, that this idea of television is kind of the, the, the justifying framework, that you've made it once your game is on a television, is really kind of wrong thinking. Well, and I, that, you know, th things work well in my hand, and there are other things that really work well on the big screen. Yeah, I don't think Julie's idea was, you know, that now that they're back on TV, these games, uh, they're suddenly more valid. I just think that she's kind of echoing our sentiments, and I feel this exact same way. I, I'm hooked on console experiences or, uh, you know, sitting in front, sitting back from my television type experience. Those are the things that I carry around in my head and think about and can't wait yeah. to get back to. Mobile things, and usually this means 3DS titles and Vita titles as well, are kind of really cool quick diversions or plane rides or, or escapes from... Uh, some kind of real-world monotony somewhere. But it, yeah. I don't end up carrying those around in my imagination. And I think that's... I, I think the goal for Ouya is to build smaller-scale games that connect like the bigger-scale console titles do for, for players so that they can, they, they can walk around and still crave them and still want to go back to them. Because I, I think that people play mobile and portable stuff in a very kind of twitch way. They just want to jump in, jump out. Oh, yeah. And then they're and they're. I mean, I've, I've, they're I've, I've always said people. Angry Birds is not fundamentally a good game. People play Angry Birds because you can't masturbate in public. <laughs> it's just something to do. <laughs> is, that is that true, Scott? Uh, I, I openly <laughs> masturbate in public at every, every chance. Uh, Adam, earlier you mentioned The Last Guardian. Uh, what else are you looking forward to next week? And I know you don't have that much more time, so uh, I'm gonna keep, we're going to keep moving. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm very inter interested to see what Respawn has. Um, I'm not a huge multiplayer guy. Mm. But I think we can all agree that where multiplayer has gone, there is nowhere else for it to go. Mm -hmm. 
and that I would like to think that all these X Infinity War guys, the amount of time that they've had to work on it, that we can start to see at least a hint of where we can evolve what has become probably the most defining gameplay experience of this generation. And I think it's also the one that's held a lot of game development back this generation because it's so much like, oh, we got to be like that guy. We, we, we have to be like that guy. And you're seeing a lot of unnecessary multiplayer being slapped on the games. Right. That I would like to think that, that the respawn can really kind of get people to open their mind to where we can go with that type of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and I, 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 I guess I'm just dying. I'm, I'm dying to see how people react to Sony and Microsoft because I think what people are seeing going in it may be recalibrated once those press conferences are done. I, I, I think that like that would be the biggest news coming out of it. It's not so much what they announce, but how the internet re- reacts to it. Mm-hmm. Will you be shocked if uh, both of the consoles uh, restrict used games? You know, what? I'll be. Sh- I'll be shocked if both companies are as blunt as you just were right there. <laughs> um, I, I, they're, they're playing the game of chicken. And so that's why I think that they're going to have some allowances for used games on either one, and then they're going to try... I mean, this is where Sony has an interesting advantage. If Microsoft kind of muddies that message, Sony's at the end of the day, and they can come out with something clear and more defined right. about where they stand in contrast to Microsoft. Right. So I think usually I think Microsoft has the advantage by going first in the day because they get to own the news cycle. Mm-hmm. I think that they may... They're in a far more difficult situation because they can't... They can't hedge as easily, and they're going to want to hedge. Mm-hmm. I have a silver lining uh, theory around this because that's my role in the world, I think. Um, but if we see restrictions on used games, now primarily that used game market has really blossomed and grown and, and made a lot of people very wealthy because games at their outset are way too expensive. And as Steam continues to prove week on, week out, if you adjust pricing, you see sales go way up on yes. these things. Yes. And I think if the consoles are adopting this always on and restricting used games kind of thing, I think these, as painful as that initial sort of leap into it will be, because certainly retail pricing isn't going to be adjusted downward anytime soon, but I think what this does pave the way for is more control on better deals and better pricing. And I think if yeah. you look at Sony's... Um, uh, PlayStation Plus subscription thing. That's a pretty phenomenal deal for, for people that have that machine or both machines. They get a lot of games for nothing. Well, not for nothing, yeah. for their for their monthly fee. That's pretty radical thinking, and I think it worked out very well for, for Sony. Uh, maybe not so well for a lot of retailers out there. Um, but I, I think that will be the, the only and ultimate good that comes out of a situation like that. I think that uh, obviously retail is still really fundamentally important to these companies, but uh, if they can sort of play with pricing and come up with lower prices, like, imagine if you're, you're kind of screwed out of a, a used price deal on your PlayStation 4 or your Xbox uh, One, but you pre-order it and you get it for 20 bucks off or something like that. If you no, I, I think you're right. They have to cushion the blow. Yeah. And the thing is, if you look at Steam, they have discounts that are far greater than what any used console game is at, at a GameStop, I know. similar store. Yeah. And all they have to do is start demonstrating stuff like that. I think there's going to be a lot of rankled feelings, but it will start to make this transition, which I think is inevitable, 
uh, a lot easier to swallow. Well, I mean, it would be the, you know, the final recoupment on all of that uh, physical media, you know, sort of surcharge that we've been yeah. paying for when we buy these digital files. And we always wonder, every one of us, uh, you know, when we buy yeah. one of these downloadable <laughs> things, why are we paying the retail price? I don't get a, a book. I don't get a case. I don't get a disc, you know, and I think... I think the console guys have to go in that direction, and I, I, I don't know if there's an easy way or a delicate way to do it, you know? And I, I think Well, it's, it's also, I think there's a relationship between the retailers, Walmart, GameStop, and to a lesser extent, Best Buy, that's similar to what cable channels have to deal with, with Comcast or Time Warner Cable, right. that there's, there's, there, there are these large entities that they still need, but they're trying to break away from. And that kind of divorce is pretty ugly and messy, and the consumer gets screwed in the process. Yeah. Dude, I think this is going to be the, the most interesting E3 of them all. You know, it feels... I, I, I think so, too. This, I, I agree. I mean, <laughs> like, we're in such a massive sort of movement to change right now. I've, I, it's never been this tumultuous and... and uh, crazy and you know ripe with lots of really incredible potential all at the same time no it's it's a tinderbox and i'll bring the match (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be fun do you think you think the last of us is gonna be the game of the year you know what i i want to reserve judgment on that i'm also a huge fan of bioshock infinite with grand theft auto 5 which i think will be a very major releases around the corner i guess i'm really really don't want to commit to something like that because i want to be surprised by a game at e3 that has the potential to be the game of the year that i never yeah. So it's, I, I think it's out of an abundance of hope that I'm reticent to, to, to declare. But one of the best games of the year and probably I've played in the past 10 years, by all means, I would put The Last of Us. Guys, game. remember last year, Dishonored, nobody had heard of that thing before E3. And then by the end of the year, it was wowing everybody. That's true. So who yeah. knows what's going to happen? Adam, listen, I know you got a huge rental car parked out front in front of the dumpster. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. That's right. I'm in Canada. <laughs> the, do you have police up here that ticket cars? Mounties. We've that in America. Mounties. No, no, we don't do that. You know, um, you, you guys are so nice. We just give high fives. They put a little uh, lollipop under your windshield wiper <laughs> and, instead oh, of a ticket. I love that. But, you know, yeah. Vic's mom needs a ride to uh, to her jazzercise class. Yeah. So can you take her to the Y on the way to the airport? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Oh, and, you guys have Ys up here, too? Yeah, we have Ys. And do you mind staying mom! Do you mind staying her, staying with her for the jazzercise and doing some of those routines and then bringing her back in a few hours? Can I borrow one of those shirts that don't cover my shoulder on one side? <laughs> you got it. Scott's got one right, right there for you. There we go. There we go. Spree, here uh, I come. Buddy, right, buddy, it's so good to hear your voice. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Yes. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you too, man. All right. All right. See you soon, buddy. See Thank you, man. you. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was uh, pretty damn cool. We had Adam Sessler on our show. He's been on uh, EP and I think Reviews on the Run a couple times in the past, but uh, we haven't really had a, a good sit-down conversation like that. I think he summed up what E3 should be mm-hmm. in one nice phrase. Mm-hmm. We want to be surprised. That's every E3, though. But we really want to be surprised. This we year... Need, well, we need to be surprised. We need to year. be surprised. there's going to be trouble. There'll be rioting in the... Str- no, well, I remember... We're, uh, we're pretty Again, polite. it's the Peter Molyneux uh, E3 with Milo and everything. That was the last time I, I felt any genuine surprise. Yeah. And you know what? I forgot to mention this. Usher that. didn't do it for you? No. When I, Usher came out and danced? No? I forgot to mention this to uh, Adam. Six Flags just announced that they have created G4 The Ride. <laughs> Now, what it does, it's, it's, it spins you around faster than any other ride in, in ride history. Yeah. And then it takes away all your dignity. Oh, that's not oh, nice. Oh, come on. Now. That's not nice. Come on. We are on G4. We are still on G4. <laughs> there is one G4 left in the world, and we are on it in Canada. 
All right, my friend. I think we got to wrap it up. How do we get this to We're be We're going weird? to the airport next week. Vic and I will be doing the podcast from, from our Los podcast Angeles. on the road. That's right. It's uh, E3 all week next week. Looking forward to that. Uh, thanks again to Adam Sessler for being on the show today. That was rad. Guess what? Stitcher! Stitcher! Oh, I took your line away. I'm no, sorry, No, that's bro. fine. You can have it. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Vic's Basement. Basement.